Hey friends, welcome back to Eco Chic, the podcast about practical science and sustainability. My name is Laura Diaz and you're listening to episode 91. I'm pumped about today's episode because we are speaking with Christine Bader. Before I even tell you anything about Christine, I want to tell you about how I came across her story. Quite literally, I found her book, The Evolution of a Corporate Idealist, Girl Meets Oil, in a bookstore, in like a physical secondhand bookstore. Corporate idealist was a word that really, really caught my eye. Plus, it's like a really nice bright blue book. And I really got to thinking about what that meant, and I was so excited to read her story. And in this book, it was published in 2014, and this podcast takes place in the year 2020. Christine goes through her experiences working as an analyst with BP. This was so exciting to me to hear about because Christine really expresses and really beautifully explains some of the experiences she had that really helped form her career as someone who works in social impact and someone who works in corporate social responsibility, CSR. CSR is an acronym that we're throwing around quite a bit in this conversation. Christine worked on some major, major projects that BP had around the world looking at the social impacts of their work. Before this, she had worked both in the private sector and in the nonprofit sector, so I think when she talks about her corporate experiences, it really gives a nice, holistic understanding of what social impact is. She really is able to talk about the economic impacts and the business impacts and the human rights impacts of all of these different actions from a really nice, well-rounded perspective, a really bird's-eye view, because she has so many great experiences that have given her that. I don't want to give too, too much away because Christine in this conversation gives a lot of really awesome insight to her career and how she's really ended up where she is and what corporate idealism really looks like. The other big role we talk in depth about that she held was that of Director of Social Responsibility at Amazon, where Christine was from 2015 to 2017. Christine is super passionate about wanting to create a career with impact and really wanting to lead a life where you're doing good wherever it is that you are. In this conversation we have, Christine does retell an experience she has with someone that's like higher up in BP and they say to her, we're going to get this right when they're landing on their project site. And I thought that gave a really nice perspective of what it looks like to be a corporate idealist, really someone who wants to minimize the negative disruptions that your particular business is having on some community, on some group of people. I think the conversation that Christine and I have is really, really important when we're talking about corporations and our economy, because when she explains corporate idealism, she really drives home the idea that there are people in every organization and every business that genuinely want to do the right thing. No one goes to work. No one gets into a particular field because they want to be a villain. Like no one's out to be the bad guy in anyone's story. Sometimes it happens, but the vast majority of people are doing things with good intentions. Like I mentioned earlier, I physically found this book and I came across the story and it just really, really resonated with me. And I thought it was so important to continue exploring this conversation because it wasn't really something that occurred to me before. It's really, really easy as an environmentalist to say, oh, you shouldn't buy from this company because they just do terrible things or you shouldn't participate in this particular activity because it's just so bad for the environment, whatever, whatever. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of major key players in our economy. And when we're talking about big corporations that are making significant structural change, we have to be looking at the people who are doing good in these corporations. And we have to be lifting them up and encouraging their stories and applauding them where they can. And while, yes, there's a lot of things that corporations could do better, I think the idea that there are people across the board trying to do better is also a really important thing to acknowledge and to applaud. And I'm so glad that I was able to speak with Christine. I am honestly really excited about sharing this conversation because I really look up to Christine. She is such a role model for me. 
if I can be really real with you guys for a minute, Christine is such a warm personality. She's someone who made me feel really comfortable. She's someone who really got me excited, and I'm so genuinely interested and invested in her story because I think it's a really important one to tell. She's someone that I really look up to, and I don't want this to sound like particularly crazy because I had the opportunity to speak with her, but it was really such a treat and such an honor to be able to hear her story and learn from her. And she gives a lot of really, really nice nuggets of career advice, especially towards the end of our conversation, that honestly I needed to hear. And she's such a supportive, idealistic person, not necessarily supportive to me, but I mean supportive in the sense that there's always a silver lining. There's always a way to lift someone up and lift someone's stories up. And I think that the work that she does is so important. It's so impactful. And while we do talk about her work at BP and we talk about her work at Amazon, she's also done a lot of other incredible, incredible things that I would love to dive deeper on in the show. She talks a lot about human rights. She worked on a United Nations mandate that actually reminded me a lot of our conversation with Claudia LaRue, which is about six episodes back, I want to say, and she is a diplomat for the United Nations. On that particular episode, Claudia shared with us how humanitarian efforts are really deeply tied to climate issues and the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So if that's interesting to you, I'll leave the episode linked in the show notes. However, this conversation with Christine really got me like excited and just thinking a lot about what I could do as an individual and how really every single person in their career, whether they're working for a big corporation or a government or in the nonprofit sector, there is a place for you to do really great things and there is a place for you to really lift up our economy in the way that you want it to be. We are very thankfully living in a world that's changing really quickly. People are seeing a lot of environmental catastrophes on the news when we're talking about Australian bushfires, when we're talking about flooding in Indonesia. There are massive things happening and Christine even calls it the earth screaming at us. And I think that's a really good way to look at it because people are waking up and companies are waking up and Corporate idealism is here to stay, and corporate responsibility is here to stay. So I'm really, really thankful that I had the opportunity to speak with Christine because I think this is a really important conversation. So I normally say rate, review, subscribe. However, I really want to encourage you to share today's episode. Share it on your Instagram stories. Send it to your mom. Send it to your sister. Send it to your college roommate. Someone needs to hear this because I thought this was such a great combo. I got a lot out of it. I hope you get a lot out of it. If you want to keep in touch, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Podcast, and my personal page is always also linked in the show notes if you are so inclined. I always forget to mention that we also have a Facebook page. If you're on Facebook and would like to like the show, we post a lot on there too. Send me an email, laura at lauraedias.com, also always in the show notes. I really want to hear about how these episodes are helping you out and helping you reach your sustainability goals, what you want to hear next, what you want to learn more about, who you want to see next on the podcast. I'm really excited about all of the interesting guests and new perspectives that we're bringing in this new year. Before I forget, you can also sign up for our newsletter, totallyecochic.com. That's where we have our sustainability supplies and kind of the merch shop for the podcast, totallyecochic.com. There's a pop-up that says sign up for our newsletter, and it comes out once a week, and we talk about climate news, new things on the show, new things in the shop, funny things, environmental stuff. So if you're interested in the newsletter, go ahead and sign up. I'd love to have you. And with that, I'm excited about today's episode. I want to just get into it. I hope you really enjoy today's conversation with Christine Bader. Christine, I am really excited to get right into today's conversation. I would love for you to set the scene a little bit for us and tell me a little bit about your early career. So first of all, thank you, Laura. I love the community that you're building and what you're doing with the Eco Chic podcast. So it's really an honor for me to join you. Thank you. 
I, I think like many of your listeners have spent a lot of my early career, well, frankly, my whole career, <laughs> trying to figure out how to have a career with impact. So when I was graduating from college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. A few friends of mine had been involved with an AmeriCorps program called City Year, which places young adults in underserved public schools for a year of full-time service. So I did that. I worked at Phillips Academy Andover at the prep school, helping run their community service program. Then went back home to New York City, where I'm from, and spent a couple of years working in city government. And through that nonprofit and public sector experience, I noticed that the private sector seemed to be shaping a lot of the conditions that I was reacting to in these other jobs. So with City Year, and a lot of Andover's community service was down the road in the city of Lawrence, Massachusetts. Uh, I was serving in communities that were poor, that were struggling because businesses had left and taken the jobs with them, or companies had come in and perhaps failed to hire people from the communities that they had moved into, or they had done things that were much more insidious, engaging in you know, pollution or corruption or what have you. And then in New York City government, I saw how companies were to be wooed for the jobs and for the tax revenue, but they also had to be regulated as well. So I became really intrigued by the power of business in shaping our society and wondering, you know, who are these business people? <laughs> and how do they think about their power and their responsibility? So I thought the best way to learn about business was to go to business school. So I did that, but didn't really know what a career in business would look like. So I got to Yale, uh, to the School of Management in the fall of 1998. And immediately, uh, for those of your listeners who are going to grad school or business school know that as soon as you get there, you're asked to throw in your resume for things. And, uh, but I didn't know anything. So I was just going along with the herd and applying for banking and consulting interviews. But then John Brown came to speak. And at the time, he was the chief executive of what was then British Petroleum, now BP. And not long before he came, he had become the first head of a major energy company to acknowledge that climate change was real and urge action. So I was really intrigued by this chief executive who seemed to be thinking about his company's role in the world differently from other CEOs. So I got an opportunity to intern with BP uh, the summer between my two years of business school and joined full-time afterwards. And I joined as a commercial analyst because that's what you did out of business school. And back then in the fall of 2000, CSR was kind of a thing. There was Ben and Jerry's, right? But it wasn't nearly as ubiquitous as it was today. So my first posting with BP was in Indonesia. And BP had just acquired Arco, the American oil company. And my job was to help analyze the projects that BP had acquired with its takeover of Arco. So I was crunching data. I was running spreadsheets like a good MBA and crunching financial and production data and trying to figure out, okay, what should we do with these things? What should we sell? What should we keep? What, you know, how does this stuff compare to the rest of BP's portfolio? But then there was one project in particular that from a financial, economic, technical perspective was a great project. It was a big gas project. But 
from a human rights and sustainability perspective, it was going to be really tricky. It was in West Papua, which is the eastern end of Indonesia. It is a national geographic treasure trove where there are all sorts of flora and fauna species that don't exist anywhere else. And the uh, company, when I got there, was in the midst of the government-required environmental and social impact assessment, but that really wasn't getting at the human rights and community issues that we realized could really make or break this project. So I just put my hand up and said, hey, can I work on this stuff? And again, back then there wasn't an army of CSR professionals to deploy. So they said, yeah, please go do that. Uh, and that became the beginning of my career in CSR. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much for that recap. That is such a nice story to talk about how all of these experiences and all these thoughts that you were having really led you to even end up at BP and the idea that you're recognizing all of these business happenings and all of these influences on society coming from a business perspective and you really went after it and it really helped shape your career. And I would love to take a minute to talk a little bit about human rights. You mentioned being in these new communities where you realized there were a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of gaps where you could help and step up as an early advocate for mm -hmm. these people. I would love to hear a little bit about the experience you had getting to these project sites and what that was like just living there. Oh, sure. Gosh. So the first time I went to that project site in West Papua, I was organizing what BP then called a peer review. So it would bring in people from around the world, from within the company, and sometimes from outside of the company too, to look at a particular tricky issue on a project. My first involvement with that project was organizing a peer review. So I had a few experts from across the company and a few external experts to bring out there. <laughs> at the time, this involved a commercial flight, a commercial overnight flight from Jakarta to Papua. It was an overnight flight, and then a small prop plane and then a helicopter <laughs> the rest of the way to the site. And I had never been in a helicopter before. And as we were getting closer to the site, there was just dense rainforest, occasional flocks of birds bursting out of the trees. And this looked nothing like the sketches I had seen of what this gleaming industrial plant was going to be. And I started to feel a little bit nauseated and I thought, maybe it's the helicopter, maybe you know, I've been up all night traveling. But I, I realized that I think what the company was doing was actually making me a little bit sick. And I turned to the woman next to me, and she was a VP in the company for environmental management. And she could see the look on my face. And, you know, we're both in a helicopter, and it's really loud. You've got these headphones on, you can't really talk. But uh, when we got out of the helicopter, she, she knew what was going on. And I was just looking at her like, what are we doing here? And she said, that's exactly why we're here. We're going to get this right. Wow. Wow. That's a really impactful story. And like, I've, I have a very clear picture now in my head of what you were seeing for the first time and really like coming to terms with saying, this is what I'm here to do. And when you talk about environmental responsibility, when you talk about environmental management, and when we're talking about oil, I would love also to fast forward a little bit in time and hear a little bit about your reaction to 
some accidents. I think I'm particularly thinking of the Deepwater Horizon spill. What are kind of like some reactions that you had? How did those experiences really impact you on an individual level? That moment that I just described in Indonesia was, again, this is the kickoff of my career doing this work. And what I came to appreciate at BP was that, yes, there are inherent tensions and disruptions to the environment and to human rights, because that's what the business is. We are extracting resources out of the ground in order to provide energy to people around the world. And the tension there was that there are ways to do that, that minimize, they don't eliminate, but they minimize negative disruptions. And there are ways to enhance the positive contributions that those projects can have on communities and on society. So I was living at the intersection of those tensions and those complexities. But over and over again during my time there, I saw how those concerns about human rights, about the environment came at the expense of the business. We were told to delay project timelines because we had to get community consultations right. I was allowed to spend a whole lot of money on bringing in experts, on setting up programs. So I really fell in love <laughs> with that company and thought, gosh, this is just how you know big business operates because they understand that getting human rights and getting the environment right are in their business interests. This is amazing. <laughs> so I left BP to join a United Nations project on business and human rights. And it was a wonderful experience to get to be at the epicenter of international policymaking. But I really started to miss my time in business because I had had such a great run with BP. But then the Deepwater Horizon disaster happened. And the BP that emerged in the press and in all the investigations following that disaster was not the progressive, enlightened, forward-thinking company that I had fallen in love with. It was callous, it was negligent, it was evil. And so I thought, what the heck? <laughs> what, did I miss a memo or something? <laughs> like, what? everything that I thought I had learned seems to have been wrong. So what's going on and who am I and what do I believe in? So that's what inspired me to start talking to other people doing similar work in other companies. So friends at The Gap, at Yahoo, at Coca-Cola, places where bad things had happened to people, even where the company stated it was trying to do the right thing. So talking to those folks, these were people I'd seen at conferences over the years, but never really talked to them about how do you feel about what we're doing here? Do you really feel like we're making a difference or are we just tweaking around the edges? That was what inspired me to tell this story of this global invisible army of corporate idealists deep inside these companies. These are not people doing PR. These are not people doing external reputation management. These are people deep in the guts of these companies trying to change the way that they operate. So I wanted to tell that story because it's a complicated one and I think one that doesn't get in the public domain very often. I completely agree with you and I'm really glad that you mentioned that term already of corporate idealism. I would love to also just backtrack and tell you that I really appreciate you shedding light on the idea that 
yes, oil is an extracting process. And that is how modern society has been run and has been fueled and has been progressed. And I'm really glad that we're putting that at the forefront of this conversation that in your experience, there wasn't a situation where you felt like you were working for an evil corporation. There wasn't really an experience where you felt like people were going out to do the wrong thing or just take resources without thinking about the community because I think it's really easy to kind of demonize oil and demonize non-renewable resources just because we're living in an age now where renewables are inexpensive and we should be moving towards a greener, more clean grid and cleaner energy sources. We do have to recognize that like a lot of the modern progress couldn't have been done without oil and companies like BP trying to do it in the best way possible. I think that's a really important point. So first of all, people and companies are not evil. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, people, most people don't wake up saying, I would love to just rape and plunder today. This is, you know, this is on my top goals for the week, right? Not everybody in every company is constantly trying to figure out how do I have a positive impact on the planet while doing these things that my company does. I will not say that everybody has that mission. I, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't say that. I will say, though, that collectively, in my experience, and this is part of the reflection in the book, the projects that I worked on for BP were in places where human rights and the environment were impossible to ignore, even if you wanted to. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that everybody wanted to, but it was impossible not to recognize that BP had to invest and try really, really hard to get these things right or else the business wouldn't work. Part of the reflection in the book, and again, this is, this is my personal take, there have been many expert investigations, was that in the Gulf of Mexico, where the Deepwater Horizon disaster happened, nobody was watching, right? The regulators were literally in bed with the people they were regulating. There aren't communities, there is marine life, but there weren't onshore communities like there were in West Papua that had international NGOs and the US and UK government watching with great diligence. And now we know how wrong that is. But I will say that part of my retrospection was realizing that there was so much scrutiny that it, it was just impossible to ignore the fact that regardless of people's motivation, whether people were you know, evil or altruistic or, or neither or both or whatever, in those projects, it was impossible to act otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's also a really good realization to say, like, there really is no way that everyone in the situation is doing the best possible. At the end of the day, they're all businesses. And when we're, especially when we're talking about oil or really like any large corporation, at the end of the day, it's a business. And it is about money and accomplishing goals and satisfying stakeholders. But when you're in a position to not ignore the communities that you're impacting, I think that really gives uh, corporate responsibility, whether or not it's a specific department or one specific person or whoever it is that's taking responsibility for it. I think it's really important to recognize that everyone's aware and everyone has some ability to either be more conscious or speak up against things or whatever it may be. I think that it's really nice to give these corporations a little bit of depth. Like it's not all inherently good or all inherently bad. They are made up of people who are making those decisions and driving those programs and whatever it may be. Yeah. And I will also say that at BP, we talked about our mission as being to deliver heat, light, and mobility to people. 
and and there's not a hint of irony or sarcasm that was the mission of the company and i would love to kind of continue the conversation again about corporate idealism and what that really looks like now that we're talking about individuals and mission statements how would you define corporate idealism i think the corporate idealists are people who see that business can be a force for good that we see that companies employ people and companies can corral resources to innovate and to drive social change for the better and corporate idealists are people who see the potential of harnessing that positive power and want to put it to good use i really really like that that's a really nice well-rounded positive definition so thank you so much for sharing that i would love to hear a little bit about how you continued your goals and your personal devotion, I guess we want to use, is to corporate idealism and how you kind of continued that in your career once you left BP, you went on to the United Nations, and then I would love to hear about what you did afterwards. Yeah, sure. So the United Nations mandate ended in 2011. It was a time-limited mandate. And by then, again, the Deepwater Horizon disaster had happened, and I was really trying to reflect on that and understand what I really believe about corporate social responsibility. The UN mandate ended in 2011. I had started writing the book. I was uh, teaching, co-teaching business and human rights at Columbia University uh, with my friend Joanne Bauer. I was working as a part-time human rights advisor to BSR, Business for Social Responsibility. I had twins <laughs> in the fall of 2012. I wrote the book. It came out in 2014. And it was really amazing, Laura, and really heartening to see how the book landed. I had hoped that it would resonate with people doing CSR work, and it did. I had a lot of people thank me because they finally had a book to give to their, you know, mother, spouse, kid, whatever, to explain what they did for a living. But also a lot of students who really appreciated having a first-person account of what it's like inside a company and seeking a career with impact. People like activists and regulators who appreciated the inside view of a company and just general consumers who had nothing to do with corporate social responsibility or sustainability in their day-to-day -day that they are aware of, but just appreciated the story. So I had a wonderful time after the book came out, traveling, speaking, consulting, writing. It was great. And then I started to realize that I am so passionate about speaking about this community of corporate idealists because I am of it. So I started to think, okay, well, I guess it's time to go back into a company and start walking the talk again. And I thought, but gosh, where could I possibly go where I can work on such a broad range of issues as I've been able to see in these last couple of years and a place that could really have impact at scale a place that was early in its journey. I didn't want to go to a place like Patagonia or Ben and Jerry's where it's a given. I wanted to be at a place where I would have to use all of the tools in my toolkit. And where could that possibly be? And then Amazon called. <laughs> and I thought, whoa, yep, that sounds like the ultimate challenge and opportunity. So I joined Amazon in 2015 as their first director of social responsibility. Wow. Wow. That's a really nice uh, roadmap to how you ended up at Amazon. And I'm also really intrigued by social responsibility at Amazon because 
it's very easy for the environmental community to demonize them in some way because they are such a global corporation, because there is so much waste associated with it, so much carbon being emitted from the transport and two-day shipping and et cetera. But at the end of the day, Amazon, like any other large corporation, has really progressed our society and has really helped us so much accomplish what has been accomplished in the last few years. And it's really hard to deny the idea that Amazon is so impactful in everyone's lives, whether you're directly buying from them or not, or if you are directly selling for them or not. So I think you're completely right in saying that it's an organization where you could have such an impact really across the board on so many different scales. So I would love to hear a little bit about what that experience was like. The program that I inherited at Amazon was primarily a responsible sourcing program. So that meant looking at the supply chains for Amazon's branded products. So not everything you can buy on Amazon.com, but anything with Amazon's brand on it. So that started with the Kindle and the electronic devices, but Amazon has a whole Amazon Basics line of products. There are baby products and food brands and fashion brands now. So my team was responsible for inspecting the supply chains, the manufacturers for those products to make sure that Amazon's own branded products were made under decent working conditions. And this is an area of work that every big brand has had to undertake in the past 20, 30 years. So at Amazon, again, it was really the ultimate challenge and opportunity because Amazon prides itself on speed and cost and variety of selection. So I think the challenges of auditing a supply chain for any brand were really enhanced at Amazon. So I was excited by the opportunity to be at a place that cared so much about data and technology and scale and impact and customer experience and all of those things. So it was really exciting to be part of a fast-growing sustainability organization in a really historic company. I think that sounds like a really exciting opportunity. I completely agree with, like you mentioned, just the idea of Amazon being such a historic company and you really having a hand across the board on so many different types of products. And talking about supply chain sustainability is also always really, really interesting to me because I feel like when you talk about corporate responsibility and we talk about sustainability in a large business, in any large brand, it's really easy to feel like you as the consumer have to be responsible for looking for labels or responsible for looking for certifications. And it's not always the case and it's not always so cut and dry. And seeing large brands really put emphasis on responsible supply chains and responsible working conditions and living wages, I think that's all really admirable and something that I hope we are shifting our economy in the direction of. So I would also kind of love to hear a little bit about where you see corporate responsibility going in the next few years and how you really see companies stepping up to the plate when it comes to environmental social responsibility. I feel like we say this every year, but I really do feel like this year has to be a turning point. Uh, You know, I'm thinking about a second edition for my book right now, and it does seem more timely than ever. I feel like the planet is screaming at us bushfires across Australia, flooding in Indonesia, record temperatures, extreme weather, rising sea levels. I feel like the planet is screaming at us. And I feel like governments are 
their failures are all the more clear given how loudly the planet is screaming. I don't know if they're actually doing less or if it just seems like they're doing less in comparison to what is needed. So I do feel like business is being looked at to step up. And I think some companies are, you know, Patagonia is is always right, one of the primary examples of a company that is taking its activism seriously. But I feel like, you know, the business roundtable statement last year where a number of big companies from a traditionally not terribly risk-taking or progressive organization saying that, you know, stakeholders are very important. This was not revolutionary. It's actually not that interesting to me, but I understand why it was interesting to a lot of people for companies to make this sort of statement I think that companies are both, again, at the center of the problems, but also potentially at the center of the solutions. And this is everything from climate to discrimination to economic inequality to the future of work. I think that now more than ever, business is being looked at to provide solutions and also to mitigate their own harms. And that will only continue. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for sharing that. Christine, if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with the audience, or is there any final encouragements or anything that we didn't get to share that you'd like to touch on? Well, I think that when I speak with people in their 20s or even older uh, grown-ups who are trying to figure out, well, given all of the problems in the world, what do I do with my life? <laughs> right? How can I really live a life of positive impact? I think that there is no one answer. I do still want the world's best and brightest people to go deep inside these corporations and try to make them better. But I have also learned through my own personal journey that we cannot be effective if we're not also taking care of ourselves and being mindful of our communities and of our physical communities and of the people around us. I think I used to be a little bit more gung-ho that everybody should spend lots of time in companies and keep trying to make them better. But I also know that each of us has to find the way where we think we are going to be most effective. And for some people that's going to be working in an advocacy group, for some people that's going to be working in government. And the other thing to realize is that that's going to change over time. So I speak with a lot of people who <laughs> who are sort of cursed with the systemic view of the world, right? And they're trying to decide what to do after school or whatever and think, well, okay, I think I want to go in a company because then I can really work at scale, but then I might miss the advocacy of getting to work at a nonprofit or the democratic engagement of working in government. Or if I go into government, then I'm going to miss the resources of working in a company. And it's like, oh, for the love of God, like just pick one job. <laughs> for right now. Pick the thing that you are going to be great at next. And in a couple of years, your priorities will change, your situation will change, and you'll want to do something else. But I think it's really important that each of us listen very carefully to what work is ours to do right now. And that's how we're going to make the biggest difference. That's it for today. Thank you so, so much for joining me. I hope you loved today's conversation with Christine Bader. I feel like I got a lot out of it. And listening to it back, I feel really excited and empowered and like ready to take on my career in sustainability and environmental science. 
So I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at EcoChicPodcast, or you can also follow us on Facebook. I always forget to mention that, but we also have a Facebook page, EcoChic. I hope you're having a really, really good day so far, and I can't wait to talk to you guys next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.